Outputs are infinite arrays, right? So you get the index in the array is the time, a virtual time, right? So when something comes, you add something to the input array, and then the, the computation engine will give you, will append something to the output array, will apply a computation and will tell you what the next element of the output array is. So that's what the stream is. So when you couch it in these terms, many things become much clearer. So if you look at Flink, for example, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't talk in, in those uh, concepts. It talks about many input streams that are not synchronized to each other, many output streams. There's no connection between when an output is produced and when an input comes. But we claim that this arrangement is very important. And differential data flow has this one too. It's mainly aligning the different in, in, incoming streams and the outgoing streams um, to align them with respect to time, in a way. Uh, yes. Is that so, kind of a, the point? The point is, you know, you have to know what your input is. And your input is could be a change in many input streams, but you decide how you group them together, all these changes. Then you compute on all these changes, and then you produce all the changes in the output. So, so the, the central notion, so think of a stream as being composed of changes. And then everything is a change. Your inputs are changes, your outputs are changes. But, but, but there's also another angle to this. Uh, so, you know, so how does streaming relate to uh, ad hoc queries and like traditional databases? Uh, actually, the answer is very simple. So once you have the stream of changes, uh, you can integrate the stream. And when you integrate the stream, which is basically computing some of the prefix at any given point in time, this integral is a table in a traditional database. And uh, if you look at what uh, the DBSP theory tells you, it tells you that to evaluate uh, SQL and, in general, uh, to evaluate queries over streams, you have to keep uh, these integrals around. Right, so this is why continuous analytic systems are not stateless, because they have to keep integrals and compute on the integrals. So uh, the streaming side of the story is that to compute queries continuously, you have to compute integrals of inputs and then perform some uh, actions in these integrals uh, to update the output of the queries. Now the database side of this is that once you have these integrals inside the system, uh, you can also start writing ad hoc queries, uh, which will operate on these integrals as well. So that means if you compare that to, for example, Flink or Kafka Streams, then it's just basically different integrals. So because they, they only have like kind of stripped down integrals, which are key value stores in a way, and, and you have integrals which are full tables or something like that. Um, okay, so, so let me address um, the... It's not that the integrals are different. The integrals are more or less the same thing. It's just, you know, it's just the table. Uh, but if you think about what it takes to build, uh, if you think about what it takes to build a regular database, like a conventional, good, old-fashioned uh, relational database, there are two things. The first thing is relational algebra. Right? It tells you the exact semantics of what database does. It's very pure thing. It has nothing to do with all the optimizations, all the crazy data structures, the but you cannot build without that. Mm -hmm. And then you have all the system building on top, which is, you know, tens, hundreds of person years of work. Um, it's the same for streaming databases. They're no different. You need, you need mathematics to tell you what exactly the database should do. And then you do all the scale out, all the data structures, caching, uh, uh, you know, fault tolerance. 
uh, all of that. And I think the difference is that Flink and most other systems, maybe except Materialize before us, they focused on the system building. They somehow uh, winged uh, the, the more formal aspects and just, you know, let's just build it. And that gets you that far. At some point, you realize that you no longer know what your system is doing. And that's exactly the case in Flink. Uh, there are many cases where it's really hard to tell what exactly the system is computing. It's supposed to be SQL, but like, what is? It's it's kind of not exactly like SQL. It's slightly something else. Yeah, and in the, in the end, you, you can't even get around with just SQL. You have to you have to add some data stream API Java code to fix things which. You cannot use it. If you think about how you use a normal database, you more or less type queries and you more or less you know, get decent performance with very well-defined semantics out of the box. Uh, but Flink is not like that at all, right? You have to put a team of engineers uh, to, to around Flink to do things with it. And I think that's exactly because um, it, it's, in some sense, it's a fairly ad hoc system uh, that does something uh, you know, with enough experience, you know what it's doing, and you can make it useful. But it's not like this well-defined, well-defined thing, uh, which is why it's also difficult for uh, like to say precisely this is the difference because you know. That's also what my feeling was. For example, with Materialize or your approach, you're building from kind of a database relational algebra angle. So you start with that. And then you build the stream processing on top in a way, um, or you build it in or somehow. And and Flink, for example, it basically was an ad hoc stream processing system with some stream processing operators. And then at some later point, they decided to put some SQL on top. But of, of course, if you don't have a grounded theory behind it, um, then the SQL is very incomplete and very hard to um, to predict and to debug. So if you look at the original Flink paper. Uh, it worked really hard to avoid doing anything incrementally. So their whole thing was, we're going to wait until we have all the data to compute a query. And usually it means your window is complete. And then we're going to compute basically in, in, in one short mode. Uh, yep. what, what we say and materialize as well is fundamentally stemming computation as incremental computation. So you start with building a really powerful, really gener general incremental computer engine. And then you build streaming on top. And what happened on Flink, I believe, is they started with this kind of non-incremental processing, and then they painstakingly kept, you know, trying to stretch it to do some form of incremental evaluation with, you know, watermarks and lateness and, and, and all these tricks. So it's in, in, in a way it's getting even more, even less uh, kind of uh, clean over time. Uh, so let, let me try to explain uh, the relation between streaming and batch in, in yet another way. Um, from the computational complexity point of view. So what uh, this DBSP paper, so one of the outcomes of the DBSP paper is that if you know your queries in advance and you build and maintain all the right integrals uh, inside the system, then as new data arrives and you need to update the results of the queries, then uh, uh, at least in the first approximation, the amount of work you do is proportional to what has changed, not just in the input, but you know, input and output changes. So if your input and output changes are bounded, your computation is also bounded and proportional to those. Uh, now, if you also want to do uh, ad hoc queries in a system like that, uh, it, 
it inevitably means that you, you have a new query you haven't seen before. You don't yet have all the integrals uh, to compute this query, which means that you have to build them, which means that in the, the worst case complexity of such queries is proportional to the size of your state. Right, so one is proportional to the size of the change, and this is how you can do maintain queries on the fly, because as data arrives, you do work proportional to what's changed. But the other one is fundamentally proportional to the size of the whole database. You can definitely build an engine that will do both, but there will it will never be magically efficient on ad hoc queries. Ad hoc queries are always going to be, in general, expensive. So, uh, um Streaming in a lot of today's architectures tend to be the integration point between, say, your operational OLTP databases and then your your analytical data source, your data warehouses, your OLAPs, and, and so on. And streaming tends to be in the middle, where it, it, it transforms and do, does ETL and so on. With streaming databases, a lot of that's become blurred. Right, your your that that the, those two planes of you know databases or of data, you know, operational and analytical, start to become more merged together. And by with streaming databases, they you get confused as to where things live. Now, um, do you think? What do you think of that? Maybe those two like that data divide between operational and analytical that's meant to be broken with streaming databases. Or do you think there's still different types of streaming databases where one is more edge analytics that lives closer to the user-facing application, and the other has more computational power for larger ad hoc queries and uh, larger analytical use cases? Um, do you see that? I think, as Mikhail said in the beginning, there is like today and uh, the product that people are building today. And there's, you know, what will happen in the future. And uh, I, I believe that in the future there will be there will be convergence going on because there's no reason you cannot have a database that will do ad hoc queries and you know continuous analytics um, uh, in, inside the same engine. Uh, I know that uh, other companies are trying to build that technology now. Uh, I think it's a very hard sell because. It's really hard to replace modern data warehouses and modern databases. It's just they're just so mature. So, what at least what we are building uh, is exactly this analytical engine that sits in between, uh, right? So it's uh, we, we we talk about it as uh, uh, working on data in motion. Mm -hmm. So oh, usually all the data in, in theory we could process data where source and destination are the same. You know. We can connect to Postgres database and do incremental view maintenance within Postgres. But in practice, usually we work with data that moves from one place to the other. And uh, the one place can be many things. It can be a database. Uh, it can be just a Kafka stream of events. Uh, it can be a data, warehouse, data warehouse, data lake, you know, whatever. And same for the destination. It can be Snowflake, or it can be some user dashboard, or it can be you know, Postgres. But inevitably, you have data moving from one place to the other, and we add analytics on top. So, you know, what you get at the destination is not just your data, or maybe not your data at all, it is not what you need, but the result of uh, query evaluation. Yeah. Uh, and that means that for many workloads that you would normally run as budget jobs on your destination, 
database, you know, maybe in Snowflake or BigQuery, uh, they will become real-time analytics inside Fuldera. So you can still, you will still store your historical data in your data workhouse, but you're not going to abuse your data workhouse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's happening even now. I mean, many of the people in data warehouse can, could actually be done on a... Ralph, I think your microphone is... Uh, yeah, Ralph, you're breaking up there. Okay. Is it better now? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Okay. So what I see in my company now is that... Um, Basically, BigQuery, so a data warehouse is actually used for many tasks where I would expect actually a stream database to be better fit. So like non-ad hoc queries, right? So like pre-processing steps, which you know ahead of time. And these kind of things, I think they would be the use case for streaming databases. And then you would still sync it into a data warehouse in the end. But the data warehouse would have less, I mean, like I said, it would be less abused and it would, it would have less tasks to do. And the, the data would so, be fresh. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we see is people basically abusing these technologies. They, they, what they want is real-time analytics. But what they have is just batch analytics. And so they try to run batch okay. jobs more and more frequently, which becomes very expensive. And you can only push it that far. Like even if you have infinite money, um, you know, you can still squeeze maybe your processing time to one hour, but beyond that, it's really, really hard. Uh, and what we give you is basically... It, it, like, if you come from that angle, it's almost magical because it's like being able to run your bite jobs uh, in zero time mm -hmm. whenever you have a new data. But of course, it's not magic, it's just a continuous analytics. Yeah. And, then and there's, there's also, I mean, we've observed that there are, we also mentioned this, or you touched this, um, this so there's, there's some streaming databases uh, trying to basically already marry um, OLAP and and stream processing, so Time Plus comes to mind, for example. So they are basically having a ClickHouse-based backend database and also a stream processor in front. But I mean, what you're saying is that, that this is definitely not what you would do. I mean, you, you basically, you would say that the streaming database is basically more of, a, of an LTP role-based thing because that's, I mean, the data is coming in row by row and change by change. So, what they can absolutely see the value of having uh, supporting ad hoc queries. Uh, it, it, it's probably part of the long term uh, of the long term plan. Uh, it doesn't seem like high priority right now because I have a hard time seeing people abandoning their current, uh, you know, uh, batch and uh, uh, LTP mm. all up engines. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely makes sense. Like it's, it, it, it would be good to have both in one system. <clears throat> and because the system sees all the data, there's no reason it, it can't do it. There are companies that are trying to bring more analytics to the edge or the operational side. There's a company called Hydra who gets created on top of uh, Postgres. They're enabling Postgres with Columnar Store, right? Um, there are others that are adding uh, ability to create external tables in Postgres that are the materialized view, views, but they are being served from like a Kafka-like topic construct. Um, mm -hmm. But these are all intended to free up Postgres or like add capability to Postgres, which lives operationally in the application uh, to give it more analytical workloads or behavior at least or, or use cases um, 
so it's becoming more on the edge I've, I've been noticing i i think streaming databases has its place in there especially if you know it has the ability to do that transformation on the operational side and serve it directly to the user that's that's needing that that, that, that analytics um do you feel that even though like you know streams are inherently row based that columnar store will be tend to be eventually consistent anyway um I think the columnar, the storage is completely orthogonal to the streaming aspect. There's no connection within them. Yeah, even though the system, yes, you're correct, the system ingests data in rows. But, uh, you know, the important thing is how you store integrals internally. Uh, and it could be columnar. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a full story for that, like how that fits. But, yeah, there is no fundamental reason you cannot uh, represent data in columnar format uh, internally. Right, and then there were, and there's um, databases that are called HTAP, right? The the hybrid and transactional analytical processing uh, databases, which where streaming databases really are starting to, it's, they start to look like HTAP databases, right? Even if you consider them, like even if it's just one instance, if you wanted to run this database in high availability or 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 scaled out you could partition them to be partly analytical partly transactional <laughs> and then it starts to get confusing and, and, and blurry as well i i so i actually think uh, it's very easy to separate the two mm, and and it has to do with exactly incremental computation so uh, my understanding of uh, what people call uh, all up databases is they focus on real-time ingest. So data has to be queryable in real-time, uh, but the queries themselves are executed in, in a traditional way. Right. So if you give it a query that you know, has to work through the entire data set and will take you know, an hour to execute, it will take an hour to execute. Uh, it's just that people usually use them to uh, run more lightweight queries. Uh, so it's not that one is better than the other. They have different purposes. One is supposed to serve, a lot of databases are supposed to serve uh, ad hoc queries really fast. Uh, streaming databases, or uh, we prefer to call it continuous analytics, uh, it lets you run queries that you cannot possibly evaluate in ad hoc mode fast, you know, in incrementally and continuously. So it's, it's really about how the engine works. So one works on changes, and uh, it has to know the queries ahead of, ahead of time. And what it gives you is the ability to know the result of even a very complex query at any point in time in real time. The other one is more about fast ad hoc queries. Right, right. These are not the same thing. You cannot approximate incremental computation by doing very frequent uh, ad hoc queries. You, the results are not the same. Let's say um, to the user, Let's say I'm, I'm using I'm, I'm I'm at a you know SQL front end or SQL editor talking to some database right. Uh, th to that person, you, it could be an ad hoc query, but at the back end, be implemented as incremental. And then the, the only difference is that instead of receiving that data synchronously as like a request response, you're you request this 
this the sequel that gets ran asynchronously and you're subscribed to asynchronous data that's populating to your database right um re like request response data tends to you know they could be aggregated but they could have aggregations and joins and so on but a lot of that could be done asynchronously right to the user do you see like ad hoc querying um if you if they had the ability to offer them uh to be ran in a, a streaming database as a asynchronous incremental query um being not necessary anymore, sort of. It can run, but it will basically run at the same time it would run on normal database. Mm. Or probably it's slower in practice because it's not as optimized for such queries as, you know, either a data warehouse or or, or, or any other kind of database. Um, so, but I think the primary use case for continuous analytics, it actually changes the user experience in that you you know you know what you want to compute. You run those queries ahead of time, and then you start consuming data and, and getting outputs. Uh, as opposed to the traditional way, where the data is there, it's in your database. Oh. You, you type your queries, and uh, they get executed. Um, yeah. So, so basically, what what would you expect to be the main use case of of a streaming database? Would it be um, querying the materialized views, or would it be syncing out the data back to Kafka and then putting it into a data warehouse? So basically just use the stream database for stream processing or having kind of de more deterministic, more predictable stream processing, which you can easily debug? Or would it be direct querying of the stream database? Because well, there are these two options. You use stream processing when you want results to be continuously available. Yeah. So if you're happy, you know, every one hour getting your uh, output, maybe you don't need the streaming system at all. Mm -hmm. And there are many applications where you continuously want to make decisions, you know. So, for example, uh, in finance, you want the most up-to-date data, you know, in security, you want the most up-to-date data Continuously, you don't want to wait. Time is of the essence. You know, High-speed trading, dashboards. Dashboards have always been. That's what the dashboard is. That dashboard is a is a standing query that keeps showing you a view of the system state that is continuously updated. So there are uh, dashboards are just a particular case of a standing query, and there are lots of dashboards around. Everybody that does any kind of monitoring will have a dashboard. So. I think from talking to customers, most use cases are in the streaming category. So it's, you know, data moves from one place to the other, you do something, uh, you know, on the fly, like a bump in the wire. Yeah. Uh, but that's, but that's again, this is what the data stack looks today. This is what people do today. It might evolve into something completely different uh, in 10 years. Uh, to, today, we mostly see this kind of streaming use cases. That so stream processing in a way. So basically kind of a more predictable stream processing or more... Not, not just more predictable, accessible. more, uh, more, accessible. more uh, richer, more functional when you put yeah. complex more things on the table. and stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Sorry, there was noise from the window. Where is it? <laughs> There's lots of noise here. And, and another question we always ask ourselves is... Um, 
there's different opinions to that. Um, where is the materialized view? So we're kind of still finding out um, because different systems have different notions of materialized views. So for example, in Flink, um, the materialized view could be considered the output topic, for example. Um, in a system like yours, it would probably be the integrals, so the tables in a way. Um, but what would you say to... So I think so. a view is the way you specify your queries. So if you want a streaming query, what you should do, you should build a view. And now there are two ways you could look at this view. One, you could enumerate the view. And that's no, no better than a, a traditional ad hoc query, really. But I think the right way, which doesn't exist in today's databases, but this is the way it will be in the future, is you should ask the view to tell you what's new. So if you look at modern databases, they all have something called change data capture. In fact, people are building separate products. They are not part of the databases. Those will be part of the databases. Mm-hmm. So databases have, for example, triggers. The triggers tells you that something changed, but it doesn't tell you what changed. The database should tell you what has changed. So the right API is this one. You install a view, or many views. You create all these views, and then you say, let me know whenever any of these views has changed, and tell me what changed in the view. Yeah, actually, um, KSQL DB does that. So you can create a materialized view, but that materialized view is backed by a Kafka topic. It's a very, very, KSQL is very dependent on Kafka. But what that Kafka topic acts as is like a, like a, a write-ahead log, but not transactions, but changes to the materialized view, right? Um, so everything, so when you, when, as your materialized view changes, you're only getting incremental changes in the output of that topic, which I, I think sounds like what you're talking about. Yeah, but but in general, this is a very, very general mechanism. Mm. You can define a view by an arbitrary query, no matter how complex. You install the view in your database, right? So you say create view, then say any query. And then as a consumer, you say, let me know when anything in this view changed. This doesn't exist. The second API doesn't exist. The view exists Mm. in all the modern database and is the way you would specify your queries. Yeah, but, but but usually with CDC you can only use tables, but you can you can never see the changes of views. That's yeah. right. So I I predict that there will be an API by which you can register to CDC for parts of your database. <coughs> so you can register only for two views. I want view one and view two. That's the only thing I want to know about. And the database will tell you anytime <coughs> any of this has changed and how. Okay, and that so, will be the okay. API. That's how so you talk. Okay, but in order to do this, you would actually need uh, a calculus like 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 DBSP, right? So you would have to have a differential data flow. That's right. Actually, the reason why databases don't do this is because they don't have incremental evaluation. So yeah, you know, we always use just a query you run you know, periodically or on demand in in normal databases. So there is no notion of a stream of changes. It just doesn't exist. But uh, once they read our paper, they will have it. Yeah. So basically, what Mikhail is saying is. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing again. The two things have to converge. There is no fundamental reason why uh, you cannot have a database that also supports uh, continuous continuous views, basically. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and also that the right API to the database should include uh, streaming of changes in and out of the database and the views. Well, that's an interesting concept because, I mean, actually this means that you could actually use something like DBSP or Materialize 
to um, basically fix this defect in, an, in the databases so that you can actually get set up the view inside of DBSP or Feldera, and then you could you could actually get the differences. You could you could get the, the changes of the view, and then send it out to Kafka. So then you would have the CDC of of a view basically. If you use DBSP, yeah. And, and in fact, this was I believe this was the original use case for Materialize. Like before they became the streaming cloud platform, it was basically mm -hmm. incremental maintenance for Postgres. So you can definitely use this databases in such a mode as a streaming analytics engine uh, in this mode. Um, but that's that's clearly not optimal because it means you're going to duplicate a lot of state that's already in the database yeah. in the yeah, streaming yeah. engine. And and so this is back to the same thing. Like ideally. This should be one thing. And we see, yeah. for example, products like Snowflake uh, trying to add uh, continuous analytics capabilities, but that's really hard. So and Databricks too, yeah. yeah. It's really hard. So it's, it's very ad hoc, and I think it's really... But basically, they are, they're, adding it, they're adding it basically at the end of the pipeline. They're not adding it at the beginning they're, of the pipeline, right? So they're, they're doing both. Uh, I, I, I think they are trying to, they are trying to uh, okay. extend their engine to be... Uh, to simulate continuous analytics internally as well, uh, but but it's basically micro batching from what I understand, yeah. because it's very hard to take you know an existing mature data workload <coughs> and make it continuous. But basically, yeah. yeah, but at least that kind of a, in an ideal world, um, what would be the best would, would be to have a streaming database. So basically, to replace all the OLTP databases with. Um, Streaming databases where you could actually have. You don't have to. They are streaming databases. But, um, but basically, databases where you could get CDC of the views, not just the yeah, tables. Yeah, but that doesn't require a, a full blown change. It's a tiny change you have to do. Okay. Also, so, why don't we do this? <laughs> be, because people didn't know how to do it yet. Ah, okay. But and and the because then you wouldn't you wouldn't even need a stream processing or a streaming database in between. So then you would just have the uh, streaming OLTP database on the on the source end, and then you would have the some kind of data warehouse on the OLAP end, and then you would be fine already. Right? Yes, in a way. And I claim that most of your bookie will be obsolete in a few years because <laughs> that's what will happen. Having <laughs> <laughs> said that, that's also a good slide, which is that. Uh, uh, a lot of the time, your input data comes from multiple sources. So it's not just uh, one OTP database. There's going to be all kinds of uh, events. In that case, you need it again, yeah. And multiple databases. So yeah. the ecosystem is not as simple as, you know, OTP on the one hand side and OLAP on the other. Uh, so I guess that's one of the reasons why people, why we see a lot of this data in motion use cases. Um, but I think I also don't fully agree with Mikhail that it's a tiny change. If it were a tiny change... Uh, People would do it. I, I don't think it's trivial to take, you know, a data warehouse and just make it, even with the help of the DBSP paper, and, and make it incremental. There's just a lot of systems work that needs to be done. But I, I guess what Mikhail is saying it is probably bound to happen. But it's not as big as building a new database, all right? So you could incrementally change an existing database to become a, mm -hmm. a streaming database without too much effort. It is a few, many years of uh, work, but uh, it's not the same effort as building a new database. Mm. And I think oh. the main thing you have to understand is the APIs don't exist. The APIs for changes. You an API for changes in the input, 
that kind of you have, you know, transactions are changes. And then you need an API for changes at the output. And once you have those two, then you just have to connect them. Okay. Which brings us back to what, what you are implementing now with Feldera. So how does this tie in <laughs> with what we talked? Well, Feldera, you give us a query. You give us a query. And then you say, I'm going to give changes to this query. And uh, I, I want to get the changes at the output of the query. So, so your query is specified as a view, right? Mm -hmm. The inputs are tables, the outputs are views. Okay. And then you continuously stream changes to the input tables, and then Feldera will give you for every change you give, will give a change, a corresponding change in the output. Okay. okay. That's it. There's nothing else. So it's like the query engine of a real database without any tables. It doesn't store data yeah. persistently. So you're basically from, you're fixing that the gap that that uh, existing databases haven't implemented this tiny change which we're talking about. So you're kind of fixing that outside of the, 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 the existing databases. Yeah, we're showing them how to do it properly. <laughs> yes, so it's, it's not yet a unified, unified ad hoc and, and streaming uh, continuous system. So this is just a continuous, uh, the continuous part uh, of that equation. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the same algorithm, you know, so what we do, the, the way the algorithm is described in the paper is we take the query, we generate a query plan like any other database, and then if you want to generate an incremental query plan, you just do a simple syntactic rewrite. This very simple rule, say, you know, if you see a join, replace it with this operator. If you see a filter, replace it with this operator. And the algorithm is fully deterministic and very, very simple. So we can take any query plan and transform it into an incremental query plan that computes the same thing. But you do need different operators, right? So for every operator, you have to change something to make it work in incremental. Yes, mode. but, but the, and it turns out that the operators you need are also, all of them almost look like traditional operators. For example, a join, a streaming join is like a normal join plus a few integrators in front, but it's still a join. So it's not a new operator. The, a streaming filter is also a filter. So for most operators, you don't need to invent anything new. And for some operators, you can optimize them uh, in, in streaming mode, but you don't necessarily have to. Mm -hmm. And this works for any query, including queries that compute on graphs. You know, tend to graph uh, engines, they tend to be very separate from traditional databases, but we show that it doesn't have to be either. You can unify graph processing with the stream processing and with incremental computation. They are just different facets of the same computation engine. Okay. Last question for me, because I'm, I'm talking too much. But anyways, um, uh, so we talked to um, another founder of Delta Stream, and, and he said that um, actually, and you also, also kind of touched on, on this, that you actually need a different kind of uh, syntax when you switch from the streaming mode to the batch mode? Oh, like, so we claim you don't. I think everything you have in SQL, you can reuse, first of all. Okay. So SQL is good enough for almost everything. And maybe you need tiny additions, but I don't think you need a new syntax. So, so, so here is what uh, Flink people don't like to talk about. Because <laughs> Delta Stream is Flink. It's, it's basically yeah, a, yeah. Sure. a thing that oper operationalizes Flink. Um, because Flink is not doesn't 
at least architecturally, at least initially didn't support incremental computation, uh, they had to add some crutches, uh, you know, to to help it deal with uh, changing date and uh, sliding time windows and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of the SQL extensions people talk about, like like watermarks, uh, are basically a crutch to help Flink uh, know when it's a good time to start computing. Uh, if Flink were uh, a general-purpose incremental engine, like DBSP, it wouldn't care. It could start computing at any time, and then it would produce output when, when, you, when you need it. Okay. It starts computing when the data starts streaming. It keeps updating the results when, when, when it finally has all the data, or when the user wants to see the result, you know, it, it starts showing it. But Flink is not like that. Flink basically waits for needs to wait for the data to become available. And, and I think a lot of the don't you need Windows for some use cases to basically keep down the amount of data which you are pro processing all the time? Well, SQL has Windows. You, you, you don't need new syntax for that. Uh, yeah, SQL has, has already window operators. It has this uh, uh, over clause which computes a window. You just have to understand that you're computing this over clause over different instances of your table. So there's a stream of tables, and for each version of the table, you compute this window again and again. So, so Feldera, for example, it looks at this uh, window-based query. It figures out, uh, oh, okay, I only need uh, you know, half, half an hour worth of data. Plus, because data can arrive out of order, uh, I need you know, an extra buffer of, I don't know, 10 minutes, because for, for 10 more minutes, data can change. Uh, the pulse data can change. But then beyond that, it will garbage collect everything. Ah, okay. Good stuff. Um, I think this is the last question here. What's the what's next for you guys in Boldera? Uh, um, so uh, we are working right now towards our first uh, dev preview release. So uh, two weeks from now, people will be able to download and play with it. Nice. Um, then uh, a, a few months down the line, we'll have uh, a, a more complete release that will include uh, Cloud form factor, so you'll be able to run Foldera uh, in your virtual private cloud. Uh, we so so far it's uh, it's mostly just a streaming engine, and uh, you know you have to feed data through Kafka or HTTP. But we plan to work on uh, all kinds of integrations. So that's that's the bane of all the all the streaming analytics systems. You have to uh, get data get data from you know where users have it, and you have to push data from you know. You have to push data to where users want it, yeah. uh, so you need, you need to uh, you need to integrate with uh, connector frameworks like Debian. Yeah, so that's one of the bigger upcoming features. Uh, also, today Foldera computes stuff in memory, just like Materialize, uh, but uh, I think it's an important limitation, and we're working on a persistence layer, so yeah, it will it will store its integrals. Uh, in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a database, in a key value store, like always to be. Yeah. And we, we have to evangelize this approach, so uh, we're going to give our talk at VLDB at the end of the month. And uh, we hope that, uh, as I said, I think our most important contribution is just this simpler way of thinking about what streaming is. Yeah, it's, it's a funny market, so there are a number of products, like you mentioned, Time Plus, Rising Wave, Delta Stream, uh, Materialize, uh, Arroyo. Those are a few products. Uh, but 
I think none of them has captured a significant fraction of the market uh, yet. Yeah. E- even Materialize, which is like the oldest one of these companies. And I think it has a lot to do with just teaching people about what these technologies can do and why they need it. And, you know, teach them to stop thinking in terms of batch processing. And I think it's, in, in that sense, it's a strange situation where a lot of these companies are not exactly competitors. Uh, they, yeah. I think we have a common cause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds uh, good. Mihai and uh, uh, Leonid, thank you so much for for talking to us. Um, we'll definitely reference you guys in the book. Um, if there's anything you'd like to do to help promote um, uh, Feldra or anything else, we we we're open to you know helping out in any way your company and your uh, your passions for stream streaming databases. Um, Ralph, you have any uh, last thoughts? That's what it's, yeah, I just like your approach. It's uh, like, it's a very refreshing. So it's uh, c- coming basically a bit outside of the swimming community, which is still very much fling infused. And um, many think many people think watermarks you can't go without it, and, and these kinds of things. And you are taking the kind of a simple Occam's razor like approach, which I really like. So. Um, definitely <laughs> send us your the information well, for, of your talk of, at the end of the month, and then we'll we'll try to promote that um, externally to uh, it's great. really appreciate it and, and yeah. just in general appreciate your, your interest thanks for the yeah, when is the book ready when we can read it <laughs> <laughs> next year still a long time we're, we're about like uh, a quarter way through it still gathering a lot of information and it's it's, it's, uh, it's uh, it changes a lot this is the, the it looks like it's about to end the, the, the video um, like 30 seconds I think so um Again, reach out at any time. We have uh, emails, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you. See you, guys. Thanks a lot. Recording sure in progress. Yeah, so, so there are some input file files. And here I want like a segment size of, I'm saying that I want like six megabyte of segment size, right? This task max, these things are auto-generated. I think you no longer have to deal with these kinds of things. Like it can just remain as one gig. The default is good enough for most of the cases, unless yeah, there is a corner case where you have to increase. But for most cases, at least we shouldn't be doing that what we did before. Like for those, yeah. POCs that we did, we, we don't need to be dealing with this parameter. So once you give the desired segment size, uh, we expect segments to be more or less in this range, right? Like six megabytes. I mean, we cannot be accurate, precise, like six megabytes, but at, at least around this range. So now you just give this, so this, once you give this parameter, the system will now figure out. It will kick off the sampling in a mini executor and it will figure out like what 